0: This podcast is brought to you by Nir Eyal, the author of a new book entitled Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Life please listen to podcast number 764, where Nir and Greg speak about the need to learn how to avoid distractions if we want to accomplish our goals, as well as spend quality time with those we love. We can be indistractable by learning and adopting four key strategies, mastering internal triggers, hacking back external triggers, making time for traction, and preventing distractions with packs. If you want to learn more about Nir and his new book, Indistractable, please visit far spelt nirandfa com, where you can obtain a free copy of his 80-page supplemental workbook. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voiceon, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from La Jolla is Dr. Greg Reed. And Greg, good day to you. How are you doing? I am always good. Thanks for having me, Greg. Long time no see. Yeah, it has been a while and it's a pleasure having you on and you and Sharon Lecter wrote a book called Success and Something Greater, Greater, Your Magic Key um, in the Think and Grow Rich series and we're going to be talking with our listeners about that today and I'm going to let them know something about you, Greg. He's an action-taking phenomena. Strategy turns into results fast and furious and relationships are deep and rich in the space he orbits. For over 25 years Greg has inspired hundreds of thousands of people to take personal responsibility to step into their into the potential of their greatness as such as the life contribution has been recognized by government leaders foreign princes as well as luminaries in education business and industry an authority on the subjects of perseverance success adaptation transformation Ideas into reality. Greg has been published in over 63 books, including 28 bestsellers in 45 languages. And you can find a really great website for my listeners, which we'll put up at the blog at gregreid.com. That's gregreid.com. Well, Greg, thanks for coming on and talking to our listeners about this wonderful little book, Easy Read, an opportunity for people to pull out some nuggets and apply them to their life. And, you know, you start off the book with talking about the great magic key um, Mm. and that it will help us obtain anything that we really want in life. And I know Napoleon Hill wrote about this at length. and Many authors have. What's the great magic key and why is it so valuable to creating the life that all of our listeners want to actually live?
2: You know, it's it's interesting. You know, a lot lot of people have different viewpoints of what the ultimate success strategy is. Like Napoleon Hill himself in Think and Grow Rich said it was definite major purpose. But then his mentor, uh, you know, Mr. Stone would say that it's actually the positive mental attitude, PMA. And in my perception, it's all about the actions in which we take. So it's the action in the law of attraction that makes our dreams come true. You got to think it, you got to feel it, but ultimately you got to get off your backside. You got to take action and you got to do it. And to me, that is the foremost secret of all personal achievements.
1: Yeah. And one of them you say is commitment or concentration. So talk if you would, because in there you guys speak about concentration and I do know that focus and concentration are so important for people if they really want to, you know, we live in this always on distracted world and you can't blame our devices. It's the fact that people get bored. Um, I've done lots of shows with behavioral scientists. What would you tell people out there listening, uh, to try and help them get more focused, get more concentrated, um, and really dig into that action that they want to take to make a difference in their lives?
2: Well, number one, to duplicate their actions. So for example, I've got a Shannon. So Shannon Parsons is my secret weapon. So I run six major corporations right now at one time, but I do not work in any of those corporations. What I do is I oversee those, and then I delegate the directives to one person, and then she goes to those individuals and takes care of it. So for myself, when it comes to concentration, uh, I believe that you focus on one thing at a time, but it is okay to juggle multiple items. For example, I'm writing five books right now. I've got a movie that we're finding out today if we're going to win an Oscar. I've got a TV show being filmed next week, plus I'm running all these other corporations. And the way I do it is when I'm focusing on the movie, I tune everything out and I focus on that movie for a certain period of time. And then when I focus on the book, I set everything aside and I focus on that book. So I believe that we can do multiple things, but you can't focus on all of them at the exact same moment.
1: Right. And it is an opportunity, but when you're doing something to just focus the energy on that for however long you are dedicated to doing that. So if your day is split up, you know, and you say, Hey, I'm focusing on the movie, I'm focusing on the book and I'm going to put an hour in the book. You're going to do an hour on the book or you're going to put an hour in on the movie. So That's a good way to look at it. Now, Napoleon Hill used this phrase that thoughts are things. And he goes on to state that a thought in of itself cannot produce the desired results. What is missing from this statement that our listeners need to remember that really isn't always stated when people actually uh, read and or try and understand what Napoleon Hill was speaking about?
2: Well, it's exactly what I opened my conversation with it's the action in that law of attraction. So for example, yes, Napoleon Hill wrote something called Thoughts Are Things, and that's great, but I actually wrote the book. So Bob Proctor and I wrote Think and Grow Rich, Thoughts Are Things, where Bob Proctor and I went around the world and interviewed everyone from Holocaust survivors that were interviewed for Schindler's List to the guy who started JetBlue Airlines to some of the greatest, you know, empires of the world, and we kept asking them how thoughts become real. And we realized that thoughts don't mean anything it's only the thoughts that you're backed by action create reality we talked to this harvard professor and he says we have sixty-four thousand thoughts a day and unfortunately most of them are called ants automatic negative thoughts with a reptilian part of your brain to protect you to keep you safe so when the caveman would walk out of the caves that they protect themselves from getting eaten by a dinosaur Well, the same thing applies today we have all these thoughts that rage in our head but we only take action on very few and it's the actions that we take on those thoughts the few ones that we do that create our success and our setbacks for example if you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off in the car and you think for a split second to smash them well you thought it but you didn't do it but if you hit them it would create all kinds of challenges so the reality is our thoughts really aren't that impactful unless we take action upon those thoughts
1: yeah so true and one of the references you make is to john Assaraf's four R pattern interruption system to help us mm. break a loop and break patterns you know pattern interrupt is a big thing tony robbins used to strike rubber bands against his wrist i remember you know there were all kinds of things that we do to break these patterns that are keeping us from the desired results. Action is good. The question is, is it right action? Can you explain uh, his system for the listeners and how this might help them in breaking some loops and and to keep them from just keep doing the same thing? Some people think it's Groundhog's Day out there, Greg. Mm, Yeah, I agree. And
2: again, I recommend people get a copy of the book to really go in depth on his system. But I will say this. I don't believe it's even the snap of that. Rubber band that is a pattern interruption. It's the reality and the acknowledgement that you need to snap the thing to pull you out. Because as soon as you reach for that, you've already recognized that something's amiss or you're on this hamster wheel. And so we do need that. For example, majority of us think we wake up in the morning and we think, uh, you know, go to the bathroom and then we think breakfast and we think sex and we think go to work and we think this and we're on this hamster wheel. You're right. And until we can change that pattern interruption, um nothing will change and so for myself and my friends including john we're very big advocates of doing things out of our normal uh circle so for example if i drive to the grocery store today i promise i will not drive there the same way as i drove there yesterday and what i'm going to do is i for some reason I'll go, I'll go down this street i'll try this street and what happens is by doing that your awareness changes things change so it doesn't have to be a major adjustment it's just doing things a little bit differently that changes our, our pattern and all of a sudden we start doing things. If you want things that, you know, change the way we look at them, we got to change the way that we actually look at them.
1: Yeah, we just had BJ Fogg on here on his book, Tiny Habits. And the true the truth is it's just the change of a very small little habit that you have. Um, and it doesn't have to be a giant leap before you can make some monumental changes that you want in your life, right? So the, the well, weight th- loss about- starts with the first pound, not with, hey, my goal is 25 pounds. It's the first pound.
2: I would a million percent agree. And it, it again, is those simple little baby actionable steps. We can do something different. For example, majority of people listen to this. Uh, your memories, if you can look back and think of your greatest memories, whatever they are. It's usually from travel, and the reason it is because it was a total pattern interruption. Because you saw things different, you saw a different culture, you saw a different place, you saw a different thing. So your memory stamp—you don't remember going to work last Thursday, and you know that memory—but you remember seeing the pyramid, or you remember seeing that you know tree, or whatever it is that you hold near and dear to your heart. <clears throat> That's how important that the interruption is.
1: Yeah. So 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 true. You know, in the chapter on find your true purpose and set a goal, you tell a great story. And I like your book because your book has lots of stories in it. And this is about Lisa Copeland. Um, can you tell our listeners Lisa's story? You're you're touted to be one of the best storytellers and her formula for success.
2: Well, I appreciate you asking. But again, I think that that is one for people when they pick up the book, they will really get an impact because the way that you read that will have a different takeaway than the way that I read it or the way that Sharon Lecter uh, proposed it. And it was really interesting that you bring that one up because that actual message had a huge impact. So I'm gonna save that for other people to listen to and follow along the journey. And I will though tell you one story about that book that really impacted my life the most. It was the one we did with Fred. Uh, he was an entrepreneur guy, and he created something called the two-person jet ski. And I remember I asked him, I said, God, you must be a good billionaire from that. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I sold the, the patent the rights for 75 grand. I go, what? I go, oh, my God, it's a billion-dollar juggernaut. How in the world could you sell jet ski trademark thing for just you know 75 grand? I go, that must have just kicked your butt looking back, seeing all the success. He goes, no, no, no. He stopped me. He goes, that was literally the greatest business thing I've ever done in my life. And I go, how is that possible? He says, that seventy five dollars came in at the right moment at the right time. He says, you understand, I was upside down in taxes. I was behind on my mortgage. My employees weren't paid. By me doing that $75,000 deal was the first time I got things caught up, and I got to sleep like three months straight for the first time in my adult life. And he goes, what happened is it gave me the clarity finally of having that relaxed intensity where I saw these little metal cars, the die-cast cars I played with as a child. I had a friend who was in NASCAR and I made him up a little mock version of this because I thought it was cool and he loved it and shared it with everyone where NASCAR ended up buying the rights for over a hundred million dollars. And he goes, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you simply have to do a deal in order to get you through to do another deal and that message has stuck with me forever
1: well that's it's also you know he's very humble and he has a very good um focus of it for himself too as well and you know he knew it wasn't about a failure it was really about going on to the next and in your chapter on overcoming (coughs) obstacles you tell this story about brian sadorsky a canadian Mm -hmm. who became poor humble by his definition dysfunctional family Can you tell that story to the listeners and tell more about overcoming obstacles to success, which is the magic key to success in the face of failure? And you actually list five of them in the book. We don't have to get to all five, but I I thought that was a great story and then how it led in to this magic key to success in the face of failure.
2: I'm going to share with you my takeaway from Brian Sedorsi because to me, you know, again, it's how you read a book. It's 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 what the little nuggets and takeaway is could be different from one person to another. But what Brian taught me completely changed the way I looked at life and business to the point where I wrote a follow-up from just his interview. And I did a book called Wealth Made Easy. And he introduced me to all of his billionaire friends. And then I went on a journey for three years, and I interviewed people worth a hundred million to a billion dollars to find out exactly what they did to create a life of sustained abundance, all based from the chapter from Success in Something Greater. And here's the greatest takeaway of how he created his his fortune. He looked at me and he said, time plus land is wealth. And I go, what do you mean? He says, all I do is I look for a town anywhere in the world that's growing exponentially at 25% a year. He goes, go on Google Maps, it's free. He goes, I find Main Street, Broadway, and I draw a line out eight miles and I buy the dirt. He goes, I rent that dirt to farmers who pay the lease. So I get free land and I get vegetables for years. And as the town continues to grow at that 25% expansion rate, eventually it ends up on my plot. And since I'm on Broadway, Main Street, I own the biggest amount of land. That's what I resell to the big box stores for 800 times what I paid a billion dollars. And I realized that the most successful people see things where other people don't. And if you watch football, a quarterback never throws the football where the wide receiver's standing. He throws it downfield knowing that eventually he'll run underneath that ball and grab it to the end zone. And I realized that the most successful people, that's what they do. Now, also, you know, we didn't even start how this book even came to be. So I'm going to backtrack a little. Do you mind, Greg, if I tell a story behind the story?
1: No, go right ahead. Go right ahead. So
2: Napoleon Hill, you know, he was an amazing human being, obviously. We know about Think and Grow Rich. We know about Law of Success. We know about some of his great achievements. But a lot of people don't know this. Right before he passed away, he was going to write his final book. And it was called Success in Something Greater. But it never got published. And so the Napoleon Hill Foundation granted the rights to Sharon Lecter, who you might know from, you know the Wretched Dad, Poor Dad series, and Three Feet from Gold, and Outwitting the Devil, and all these amazing projects. And together, her and I went on a journey, and we interviewed today's modern iconic figures, and we asked them what they did for their magic secret sauce. And you keep referring to their magic key, and it kept saying, "Look, at the end of the day, when you started, you know, Barefoot Wines to Bonnie and." and we said, what did you do? And they go, well, this was the exact blueprint. And then we went to Acerop and said, how did you do it? And we we went to all these people. So when you're reading this book, that's why I don't want to give away all the secrets. What I want you to do is read through there and you'll have little aha, little takeaways, little nuggets that will literally blow your mind.
1: Well, I'm glad you told the backstory because uh, you and I are both very good friends with Don Green and he is the executive director of Napoleon Hill Foundation. And, and there couldn't be a nicer person in the whole wide world than than Don Green. And uh, just love that man. Uh, Greg. Well, I, 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 I,
2: not only do I agree, but that guy has changed. You know, it, it made a positive impact in my life and Sharon's life and so many people because the Think and Grow Rich brand was so held tight for 100 years. And it wasn't until Don came on board and said, hey, how do we – update and modernize the teachings found in the 20th best-selling book in the history of the world. And he's given Sharon, myself and now John Shin, a few people an opportunity to really expand on these philosophies that we believe will impact the lives of many people to come.
1: Yeah, he is, uh, he is, he is expanding it uh, most definitely. And he's giving opportunities to you and Sharon and other folks out there to do that. And I think that, that expands the opportunity for him to actually people to know more about Napoleon Hill, because, you know, you ask a lot of the millennial kids, they don't, they don't know who he is. So um I think it's a great way for him to do. It. It's very smart. Now you have a chapter called finding the gap. I happen to write a book called hacking the gap, a journey from intuition to innovation and beyond. And you tell the story about uh, John S craft um, the golfer and in, and in this, he states to never underestimate the power of creativity and curiosity as an entrepreneur. And I would probably highlight uh, both of those words, creativity and curiosity. Can you comment on these two character qualities and their importance in obtaining success in your estimation?
2: Well, absolutely. Especially you go back to the original Think and Grow Rich. You know, Napoleon Hill spoke about you know, people seeing something that's right before your eyes, but they don't see the opportunity. For example, there was always ice cream. There was always chocolate. There was always a stick. But it wasn't until one person shoved a stick into the ice cream and dipped it in chocolate that made good humor ice cream, which changed the entire, you know, American market for snack games. And sometimes people don't realize that gold is literally right below their feet. Because they're seeing the dirt, they're not seeing the opportunity. So just like, you know, Brian Sidorsky saw the dirt out there, he saw a gold mine where other people won't. It's interesting in wealth made easy, one of the people that I, I had an interview was uh, Jason Steiner, Steiner Sports memorabilia. And he said that people are buying, you know, all these autographed, you know, jerseys and, you know, paraphernalia, and he says business is going great until two thousand seven and eight when we had the big economic collapse. And he goes, no one was buying anything. He goes, but then I realized I could buy these plastic see-through boxes for like a dollar out of China and resell them for $20 or $30 so people could take their ball that they already had signed and put it underneath this little case. He goes, so I was making more money just selling the case rather than I was selling the product. And he said he also realized that, you know, a pair of... Uh, shoes that Derek Jeter would sign, for example, could bring a $1,000. But if they had dirt, that's dirt, underneath those, because they were game worn, he could sell them for $4,000. That dirt was worth thousands of dollars. And then he also realized they were going to start tearing down the old stadiums to build new ones, so he swept in and bought the dirt! Yeah, he went down on the field, bought all the dirt for nothing, because there was dirt, hauled it away. And then he started putting in the keychains and, you know, all kinds of paraphernalia. And people are buying that dirt for a fortune and made $50 million just selling the dirt that most people would literally throw away and take to a landfill. So the whole question is, how can you be creative enough to see an opportunity that literally might be right underneath your feet?
1: Well, and most of the opportunities are right underneath our feet. Um, You know, you wrote Three Feet from Gold. Um, I remember the stories. And, you know, the other thing is, is that I've done just recently a book about the power of asking questions, the right questions or just power of asking questions. And you tell this story about Michael Houhan and Bonnie Harvey And you also, uh, they also were the same people who developed the number one selling wine brand in the world. How did the power of asking questions or just generally the power of asking questions, how does it help you and how did it help them get the number one brand?
2: Well, it's asking clarifying questions. So let me be very clear. You know, so many people ask questions but they don't do it in the right order. So for example, Bill Gladstone, you mentioned our agent, he wrote a book called Tapping the Source. It's kind of like everything's energy and how do you tap that source? Well, my philosophy on that is like, if you have a, a million dollar idea when you're in the shower, it's because you tapped into the source. It's almost like you plugged into the, your electric cord into the wall. You just tapped in for a second, or you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you remember the song that's been on the tip of your tongue. Well, what happens is that we engage. And I believe that any time we could tap into that source by the questions in which we ask. So for example, in the airwaves right now, we know there's country music, rap music, and classical. But if I took a radio receiver, and dialed it into an exact frequency, I could pull it down. But if I wanted 100.7, 100.5 doesn't work. That close, but it still won't work. And I realized that the universe information is exact, just like Google. So if I said, Google, show me men's shoes, it'll give me a trillion examples. But if I said, show me men's shoes, size 10, red color within a mile radius of where I'm at, you've got it dialed in. Well, that's the same way we need to ask questions. Unfortunately, most people ask this question to the universe. God, why does this always happen to me? This is why you dumbass. And it gives you more of that because that's the question of what you ask. Or other people say, when will this go to hell in a handbag? Tuesday at four o'clock, that's a question you're asking. But certain people, my friends and myself, what we do is we say, how can it get any better than this? How can I find a solution in a challenge that I'm not seeing? How do I take an opportunity of this event that I'm going to to meet the right person? And then all of a sudden, those things magically appear. People think we're so lucky and that things happen easy for us. But the answer is we're just tuning into it and we're looking for it. Like Rumi said, whatever you seek is also seeking you.
1: Well, it is, and as you say, uh, asking the right questions and actually phrasing the questions right is so important. Um, We know that intuition is there, and if you tune into it, it's going to provide you with answers, and there is a universal source out there, which you and I, and I think all the listeners that listen to the show, over a quarter million people, agree with. Now, one of the things that is so important is a visionary. And a visionary, you state in the book, is someone who's capable of showing the world a brand new way, enlightening the world and encouraging those around them to set out on an uncharted course and explore the world around them with the single most important goal of changing it. Can you tell us a couple of people that have been visionaries that, you, that have impacted Greg Reed's life and uh, what makes them different in your estimation?
2: Well, gosh, there's so much things here I'd love to expand on. So first of all, sometimes a visionary doesn't have to be the most famous person you've ever heard of. It could be your parent who saw greatness in you and where no one else did. For example, you know, I'm making movies and TV shows and writing these books, and I can't read, spell, write. I'm dyslexic. I'm the least qualified guy in the world to do what I do. But my mom, she saw the vision. She saw what I was capable and told me, and I was crazy enough to believe it. So sometimes those can be our visionaries. The other time, you always see the Elon Musks and all these people on the news. So I would recommend that people stop and look at some of the people that might believe in them or tell them that, hey, I see something in you and stop arguing that and just listen to it and embrace it. I call it own that shit, like own that for a second and say, look, if someone comes up and says, hey, I see this something in you, stop and embrace that for just a second, go, well, thank you, appreciate it, accept it. Because they might be on the scene, something that you can't see within your own, you know, sphere. And then I'm going to go back just one little second about where, you know, Rumi, whatever you attract is attracting you. And be careful what you ask for. You might get it. I had this new philosophy this last year, and it came down to this. What if God in the universe granted every wish and every prayer we ever asked for, only we didn't like the packaging, so we sent it on our way? So, for example, you say, God, I need a $100. So He has got 100 bucks. will do anything for $100. A guy pulls up in a pickup truck it's full of aluminum cans and says, hey, I'm running late for a meeting. Take these off my hands. Clean out this truck. They're worth $100. And you go, I don't want those stinky things. Well, you asked, you prayed. It was delivered, but you didn't like the packaging, so you sent it on your way. So for myself and my friends, we're very attuned of exactly what we're asking for, and then we get out of the way of how it's delivered to us. Because the worst thing we can do is ask the universe or a God for something it be delivered and then not have appreciation for it. The chances are next time we ask it will go unanswered
1: so true and and asking for it, and now you're saying in the way it's delivered, meaning that it's delivered the way that you wanted it delivered because of the way you asked for it, right
2: that or what if it's delivered in a completely different way right again i needed a hundred dollars i didn't expect it to come in aluminum cans or have to do work for it but it was still given to me what if we sat there and said please universe bring me that perfect soulmate i've been looking for and then she shows up and she's you know a a foot taller than you and she's a a different uh, you know nail color than you're expecting the bottom line is that we have to be so attuned to this, that we asked for it and we got to make sure that we're ready for it when this comes our way. And I know we got to wrap up, but I, I want to say thank you so much for you know having me on and highlighting this book today means the world.
1: Well, I appreciate that so much, Greg, and thank you for being on inside personal growth and spending some time with our listeners. And for our listeners, the book is called success and something greater, your magic key. And the book is by Sharon Lecter and Dr. Greg Reed. We'll put a link to it on our um, blog entry as well as we'll put a link to Greg's website there. You can learn more about Greg and the other 25 or so plus books that Greg's been involved with and or uh, that he's written or co-authored with other authors. Greg, thanks so much for being on the show and spending a few minutes with our listeners.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You keep smiling and I'll talk to you soon.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Dave McEwen, the author of a new book entitled The Self-Evolved Leader. Elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. Please listen to podcast number 766, where Dave and Greg speak about the key element of a self-evolved leader and the disciplines that are required to lead in today's fast-moving environment. As Dave states in the interview, the leader's role is not that of a hero, to solve all the problems. It is to empower his and her team to find innovative ways to solve problems. If you want to learn more about Dave McEwen and his new book, The Self-Evolved Leader, please visit www.outfieldleadership.com. Thanks for listening.